everyone. You're listening to the Keeping It Real with Janine podcast. I'm Janine Strong, your podcast hostess. Today, I'm having another thought-provoking conversation with Dr. Stephanie Seneff. We last heard from Stephanie's brilliance in November, and I thought she would most likely have more pearls of wisdom to share. Now that it's April and we're still in the midst of lockdowns, masks, and vaccines. Once again, it's an honor to have her share her knowledge and wisdom with us. If you're interested in our previous conversations, you can go to the realjanine.com website and check out episodes 105, 88, 61, and there's an episode between 52 and 53. Dr. Seneff is a senior research scientist at MIT. Since 2008, she has focused her research interests on the impact of nutritional deficiencies and environmental toxins on human health, especially the role of glyphosate. And I understand she has a new book coming out on glyphosate. I think it's called Toxic, what is it? Toxic? Toxic Legacy. Toxic Legacy, yeah. And we're going to have another interview on that when that comes out. She has been intensely researching connections between toxins and COVID-19. And if you haven't heard her speak, I think you're in for a treat. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome back. So glad to be back. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Now, uh, I hear you've been in Kauai. You also live in Kauai besides Massachusetts. How is it there compared to being in Massachusetts with, you know, having to wear masks and lockdowns? Yeah, it's a lot more sane uh, I, in Kauai. They have, I think, maybe the lowest or close to the lowest uh, infection rate there of any place in the country. So it's we feel very privileged to be there, and people are a lot more relaxed. And uh, people don't wear masks outdoors except for maybe a few tourists. You know, mm-hmm. the regular Kauaians don't wear a mask outdoors, and they just they do still require you to wear it when you go into the grocery store and things like that. Even the restaurant sometimes you can get in uh, and out without ever putting your mask on. So it's quite nice. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm grateful to be where I am because it's pretty it's pretty laid back, but there are still the, what I like to call the COVID Nazis who, uh, <laughs> you know, that have been ingrained with, you know, you're doing your civic duty, you're, you're, you're being kind and considerate if you wear a mask. And I, I don't know, it seems to me that, that more and more studies are coming out showing that they really... Well, my understanding is that across the board, wearing masks, across the board, vaccinating, across the board, lockdowns does not work and that it's made everything worse. That Mm -hmm. all of those used judiciously for uh, perhaps people who are at high risk, frail or whatever, that that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. If you believe in terrain theory, I I mean, whoops, germ theory. I've been (laughs) studying that, you know, terrain theory, germ theory, and my husband's really on the bandwagon that it's of terrain theory. So I'm kind of wondering about all that. But anyway, if you if you know, if you're into germ theory, you know, then it's appropriate at certain times. But to do this whole thing across the board, it's my understanding that it's actually made things worse. Oh, yes, um, I certainly agree. Um, it, it seems, I mean, of course, we're ruining the economy and so many people are so stressed out. They can't they can't do their job anymore. They're getting no salary and the government's becoming huge debt with you know trillions of dollars being handed out to people who are barely subsisting. And it's just really sad to see. It really is. Everyone is, you know, and of course, the kids wearing a mask all day in school. I just think that's awful, especially when they're exercising. It's just, you know, oxygen supply is so important. And, uh, and of course, you see kids get rashes on their face because of the mask. I just think, uh, 
it's I don't know I don't understand why they're so obsessed with the idea of a mask without ever talking about the real ways to protect yourself that's what really annoys me you know just a simple thing like getting outside and getting sunlight exposure yes because vitamin d is such a powerful uh, weapon against this COVID-19 there was a paper that showed you know it looked at vitamin d deficiency in the people who who died and it and the prediction was that 90% of the deaths could be attributed to vitamin D deficiency, that it was that strong. You know, 90%? Dying, 90%? Yeah, there was a letter to, that was published to the journal in commenting about a paper that had been written that showed a just incredible correlation between low vitamin D and uh, potential for dying from COVID. It's so simple. And, you know, they don't say it. They just don't even bother to say it, which is such an easy thing. Yeah, and it's not expensive either. Vitamin D supplements are, are pretty inexpensive. I mean, I've been taking vitamin D for years. I've upped yeah. it because of this just to, mm -hmm. you know, be on the safe side. But uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't understand. Well, okay, I, we were talking, for those who haven't seen this, you might want to look this up. It's a Dr. Ryan Cole, C-O-L-E. Mm -hmm. And he's giving a, he gives a talk to Idaho legislators. And it's really good. It's only a half hour long. The whole thing is over an hour, but the rest is just legislative stuff. So you, it, there's just a half hour, but I'll read what I wrote down because I thought this was really interesting. And um, I think this has a lot to do with why uh, nobody's talking about how you can protect yourself or what you can do to prevent even uh, coming down with any symptoms. What he said was, if there's a treatment for a disease, the federal government cannot approve a vaccine by law. Mm, that's really something. Isn't that's it? I'm going really to read that again, because I yes. think it's really important. If there's a treatment for a disease, the federal government cannot approve a vaccination by law, a vaccine. So no wonder nobody's talking about right. ivermectin, hydro, hydroxychloroquine, a vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C. Exactly. Vitamin K2 as well. Yes. Yes. And probably the B vitamins, you know, all the vitamins and the minerals. And, um, and of course, organic diet is the one I think people should be shouting to the rooftops, organic, certified organic diet. Right. To keep uh, glyphosate levels low. And that, that to me is absolutely crucial. It's the more I look, the more I'm convinced that I'm right. And we probably talked about this last time about the whole, um, my theory that it's glyphosate in the air that's causing cities to have a huge uh, negative reaction to COVID. I mean, you look at New York City when it first came here last April to the United States and New York City got hit so hard. And, and that was really fascinating to me because I was, you know, learning so much about the biofuels, the, the biofuel industry um, connected with glyphosate. I just think that's the more I look at that, the more I'm convinced that I'm right about that. And, and as more data comes in is all consistent with what I had predicted way back in April you know, and you look now, uh, Brazil, United States, UK, um, Italy, those are kind of the top leaders in sort of COVID deaths and COVID, um, you know, number of people who are dying, uh, normalized by population. Those, mm -hmm. are, those are really in really bad shape. And those are all countries that are leaders in the biofuel industry and also countries that use huge amounts of glyphosate in agriculture. And the biofuel industry is converting these uh, crops to to, to fuel after they've harvested, for example, the wheat, they harvest the wheat and then they take the stalks and they run them through a complicated, you know, bio manufacturing plant to turn mm -hmm. them into biofuels. They can make biodiesel, bioethanol, biogas, um, bio home heating oil. 
And New York City is the only city I've found in the country that actually requires, I think it's 5% biofuel in your home heating oil. So this is inside the house. But they also use lots and lots of it in vehicles, uh, uh, city-owned vehicles, mm-hmm. uh, biodiesel. Bio and, of course, bioethanol is something that is in 10%, 10% of the gasoline in this country. And Brazil has these incredibly designed trucks that can run on practically pure ethanol. And that ethanol comes from corn, comes from sugarcane in the case of Brazil. Here it comes from corn. Both of those are going to be exposed to glyphosate. Sugarcane mm-hmm. is sprayed right before harvest as a ripener. Uh, in, and... Um, and wheat is sprayed right before harvest as well. And we're using the wheat crop as a source of biofuel. And the biofuel industry is, is actually expanding rapidly just in the last couple of years. And these countries that are leaders are the ones that are having so much issue with COVID, where they get this incredible problem in the, in the lungs, which makes sense to me because you're breathing glyphosate. That's very different. It gets into the nanoparticles mm-hmm. in the air. And then you breathe it in. So you, it hits the lungs first. And, and I have a whole chapter in my book on how glyphosate disrupts the innate immune system. Mm-hmm. It's very, very interesting science, and it's complicated, so I won't go into it here. You can read the book if you want to know the details. But I think that glyphosate is messing up the immune response in the lungs such that the lungs have to launch a very strong adaptive response where they release all these cytokines. And the cytokines are very damaging to the tissue, so they can't trap the viruses, so they have to... They basically shoot them with guns, if you will. So they release these cytokines that kill the viruses, but they also kill, you know, your own cells. Mm-hmm. So the lung gets really heavily injured by the immune reaction to the to the virus, um, and that's what you know really gets you in trouble. I, I believe that's um, what's going on there. And um, you know, Brazil actually, there's a brand new study out of Brazil. I was so delighted to see that. I swear, it's, I think it's still EPUB ahead of print, so it isn't actually you know, officially published uh-huh. yet, where they looked for glyphosate in the air, uh, in the, uh, in the city and in the, and in the urban, uh, suburban, uh, not the suburban, but the agricultural areas, they okay. looked for glyphosate, they measured glyphosate in the air and they found glyphosate in the air in all the, all the places that they looked, but they found higher levels in the city than they did in the places where the agriculture, you know, in agriculture where the glyphosate was being applied. Oh, that's interesting. Is that Isn't because that of the biodiesel or? I think it probably is. It's getting concentrated there because the agricultural products that are loaded up on glyphosate are being processed into this, you know, bioethanol. And then and when the ethanol is getting burned, the glyphosate is evaporating before it reaches combustion. That's what I think is happening. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I think that's a really, really interesting story. And I'm not hearing, you know, other people say that. Um, I'm not hearing a lot of chatter about that. So I'm having a hard time getting that message across to people. But it's just amazing when you look at the difference in the death rate among different countries. And what you see is the countries that have a basically agrarian society, small family farms, very little glyphosate. You Mm -hmm. know, this is most of Africa. Uh, Bhutan comes to mind. Bhutan has almost zero cases and I think a couple of deaths uh, total. Okay. Wow. And and um, so the and of course Africa most of Africa has these small family farms. Mm-hmm. Um, Nigeria is the one I like to point out because that one is really amazing because I, we may have talked about this in November I can't remember but Nigeria has um, you know very poor um, population crowded cities um, very bad air pollution uh, you know ninety six percent of the people in Nigeria apparently are breathing air that's uh, uh, higher than what the WHO would call consider safe. Mm-hmm. So very polluted air, um, crowded cities, very little attention to masks and face social distancing. 
And it, and of course they have a young population because they, they have a lot of kids. I mean, each mother has over on average, more than five kids. Oh, rather. Um, <laughs> and so they, so they have a young population. Mm-hmm. It means that they're, when you look at the total population, it's not fair because, you know, the old people are much more susceptible. But even if you pretended that everybody who died was over 65, so you normalize the two countries by their over 65 population, United States and Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And you look at the death rate per 100,000. Okay. You know, in Nigeria versus U.S. So what would you guess would be the, the difference, you know, what ratio between the number of deaths in Nigeria versus United States? Uh I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, you might think one in five would be pretty shocking, right? If there were five deaths for every one in Nigeria. Yeah, yeah. It's a hundred. And for every one death in Nigeria, it's a hundred deaths in the United States. Wow. That, that is a shocking difference. You know, people talk about factor of two difference. Like the black people in America have a factor of two increased risk of dying. Mm-hmm. And all people in Nigeria are black. So they're supposed to have an increased risk. Being mm-hmm. black, being crowded, being poor, mm-hmm. you know, all those things. Having air pollution. That should all increase risk, and it's one right. in a hundred. Wow. So there's something very, very strange going on that there could be such a big difference. Wow. You know, it almost makes me think that glyphosate is the primary factor that's causing all these Western nations to get hit so hard by COVID compared to the places that don't use anywhere near as much glyphosate. Wow. And, you know, it, it, that, I mean, to me, that's incredible because nobody, well, except for Bobby Kennedy, my hero, uh, junior, you know, I mean, nobody's really talks about glyphosate or, or puts much emphasis on it. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, let's back up a minute just for people because I still find that people don't, people still think that if something is non GMO, they're safe. I know. Um, I, you know, and, and I've been, I've been harping on this for, oh, God. 10 years at least. So if you could just explain to people a little bit why uh, non-GMO doesn't really mean what they think it means, why why crops that are not GMO aren't safe if they're sprayed with glyphosate and why they're sprayed with glyphosate. Just a little summary so people get right. it. Right. And it does turn out that the majority of the GMOs are, in fact, uh, the plants are engineered to be resistant to glyphosate. And so for those crops, they are using glyphosate to control the weeds. Right. That's why they have the GMO. So that certainly those are bad. Right. But the problem is there's many non-GMO crops that you would think would be safe because mm-hmm. of being non-GMO. But the real problem is the chemicals. I don't know how big a problem the GMO itself is. I wouldn't say it's not a problem. But that's been the focus in the past. All the people who were sort of, you know, campaigning against GMOs. Right. We're not really talking about the real problem, which is the GMO enables, you know, the, uh, the use of these toxic chemicals that are going to end up in the food. Um, but the problem is that they're also using glyphosate on these non-GMO crops uh, right before the harvest. And that's how you get the most in the in the food. So this is what they're seeing. In fact, your country, Canada, has done a heroic job of testing for um, glyphosate contamination in foods. I think they've done more than any other country in the world, certainly more than the United States, who's done essentially zero. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. well, Our government's I- attitude is it's fine. Why do I care? We know it's in the food, but why do we care? Well, I was shocked. The uh, oh, what's the EWG? Um, mm-hmm. You know yeah. the 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 list Environmental of working group. Yeah, yeah. The, the but the you know the I always trusted that the list of you know things of produce that was okay to not to mm-hmm. eat not organic and and the ones that you absolutely have to eat organic. I didn't know that they were not testing for for glyphosate. Yes, at that time. I was- so to me, that's 
it's not worth anything to me if they're not testing for right. glyphosate. Well, they are now. And in fact, they're finding okay. EWG is a, is a leader in our country in finding uh, mm-hmm. glyphosate contamination. They're finding it in things like Cheerios yeah. and goldfish crackers and Oreo cookies. I mean, these are all things kids love to eat, you know. Mm-hmm. So oats are really bad because they're sprayed right before harvest. And uh, wheat is bad for that same reason. I think glyphosate's the reason, the primary reason why we have an epidemic in gluten intolerance, which has just gotten insane. I mean, these days you try to invite people over for dinner, you know. Somebody's oh, God, got I wheat know. intolerance and somebody's got a gluten intolerance. <laughs> Somebody else is on keto. You have to really, you know... <laughs> torture your menu to figure out how to how to make it all work <laughs> and, and it's amazing because when I was a kid you probably feel the same way nobody had any intolerance just anything not that I can remember no I yeah. know it's it's crazy but could eat everything it wasn't we didn't even know about pe- peanut allergy yeah and now and, uh, you know you can't I mean how many how many people have peanut allergies that lots and the 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 asthma and all of it oh, I mean I know. the eczema the asthma of course, the autism and the ADHD. I mean, it's just sh- shocking how sick our children are. Obesity, diabetes, type 1 diabetes is going up. That's supposed to be a genetic disease. And I explain in my book how um, glyphosate could cause all of these things. And mm-hmm. it's quite, you know, and I've, we've talked about this before. I'm sure you mm-hmm. and I have about the uh, my understanding of how glyphosate works, which is really, really interesting science and very terrifying, which is that it, it's a, it acts as an uh, as a fake glycine molecule, mm-hmm. and glycine is the um, smallest amino acid. Amino acids, there's about 20 of them, and they're the building blocks of proteins, mm-hmm. and they're assembled like beads on a string according to the DNA code. So it's, that's really the code of life that produces these proteins. And I think that um, the machinery gets confused when it sees glyphosate, thinks it's glycine, puts it in, because glyphosate is a complete glycine molecule, except that the nitrogen is missing one hydrogen, and okay. instead, it has something dangling off of it that's called a methylphosphonate. So it's a little bit of chemistry there. But mm-hmm. glyphosate is a glycine molecule with extra stuff stuck on its nitrogen atom. And that extra stuff matters a lot because it really messes up the way the, the, the protein works. So when you find a protein that has a glycine at a place that is where the glycine is known to be extremely important to that protein, when you swap out glycine, swap in glyphosate, the protein misbehaves in, in horrendous ways. It can completely be disabled, you know, as, as an enzyme. Mm. It can misfold into a prion protein and cause Alzheimer's disease or prion disease. I mean, it's just amazing the de- devilish things that glyphosate can do by, by getting into proteins by mistake in place of glycine. And that's how it makes these proteins allergenic because mm. they become difficult to break down. And it also messes up the enzymes that break down the proteins because they get, you know, it's like a huge domino effect. It's just horrendous. And so the wheat is a difficult, uh, the gluten in the wheat is a difficult protein to break down. And we have um, bacteria that help us do that. The lactobacillus, they have a whole bunch of enzymes that are specialized in proline. Proline is a is a sort of difficult amino acid because it, it, because it has something on its nitrogen atom actually makes it difficult. And of course, glyphosate has extra stuff on its nitrogen atom too. So it's probably going to also be difficult to, to, to break down. And so you get this... Um, gluten molecule with proline and glyphosate in it and you get an enzyme that's also got glyphosate in it so it can't do its job right and and, that, and these bacteria the lactobacillus are especially sensitive to glyphosate so they get killed off so you don't have oh. enough of those bacteria they have weakened um, enzymes the protein is more difficult to break down all of that together means that the gluten hangs around and doesn't get digested and then it gets into the circulation because glyphosate 
causes leaky gut. That's been shown actually in published papers. Okay. Zach Bush is a friend of mine, and he's an oh, author on these yeah, papers. Yeah, he's great. He's wonderful. Mm -hmm. He's another one who's talked about glyphosate in the air. So he's mm -hmm. collecting a very short list of people who have who have mentioned that as a possibility for this nightmare we're living with COVID. I don't think COVID would have even been noticed. I mean, I will go out on a limb and say I would predict that it would not have even been much more than a bad flu season mm -hmm. if not for glyphosate. Wow. So, Stephanie, so, okay, so let's say somebody uh, is listening and going, oh, my God, um, I want to change my diet or I, I want to do something about that. First of all, does glyphosate, um, does it cross the blood-brain barrier? Uh, or is that I up for grabs? Yes, no, I have to think about it, but I think it does. First of all, it, op it opens up the barrier, so it makes the barrier leaky, which is going to help uh, other things get across. But okay. also, so glyphosate, because it's an amino acid, it actually gets taken up. It's been shown in studies that it gets taken up by uh, transport proteins that specialize in taking up amino acids. So it's, it's being actively brought into the cells by enzymes that, again, because it looks like a regular amino acid, mm -hmm. they're able to bring it in. So I think it does. I mean, it definitely gets into the brain because there's been like there was a study. I remember a person, a woman who tried to kill herself by drinking a glyphosate based formulation. And, and they actually, I think she must have succeeded because they actually found glyphosate in her brain. Oh, OK. So that's okay. proof that it gets in there. OK, good. And also glyphosate has affected the brain. They've done studies where they expose um, a mouse. I've read so many studies, and I talk about a lot of these studies in my book. They uh, study where they exposed a mouse dam, a pregnant mouse, to glyphosate, small amounts, you know, of glyphosate mm -hmm. in the uh, exposure to the um, to the mother can cause problems in in even third, fourth generation offspring. But uh, several studies were done by one group uh, where they they found that the glyphosate caused uh, glutamate excitotoxicity in the brain of the of the offspring when the mother was exposed while she was pregnant. And they even, you know, they killed them and looked at their brains and determined that there was a glutamate problem in the brain, glutamate excitotoxicity, and they had behavior issues to go with that. Uh. So it's, um, it's, it's messing up the NIMDA receptors. If you want to get a little bit more detail, um, that's a... Mm -hmm. NIMDA receptors are receptors that take up glutamate. How do you spell, spell that? Would you? N That's just NMDA. I'm okay. pronouncing it NIMDA. Um, okay. And 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 I N-methyl. Uh, it, it's a it's a weird name. N-methyl deoxy. Yes, <laughs> I forget. <laughs> I can't tell you what it is. It's That's a very okay. strange name. Um, it, I don't know why they call it something. I think they're. I, I don't want to say why, but but it actually affects the NIMDA receptors uh, in the brain um, because glycine acts as a I mean, glyphosate acts as a glycine analog to to be to stand in for glycine, and right. then it also promotes glutamate, um, increases the uh, glutamate levels in in the in the brain, and so it um, and then causes these NIMDA receptors to overfire, and that causes calcium uptake, and then that can kill the neurons. So you get really destruction of the neurons um, as a consequence of gly glyphosate acting. Uh, acting as a glycine analog and increasing the uh, exposure to glutamate at the same time. So, so Stephanie, what's wrong with glutamate? Is it toxic or what's the problem? Oh, glutamate's interesting, actually, because it is a neuroexcitatory uh, you know, um, amino acid. And, okay. it's, it's, uh, it, and it's important, actually, for, com for, for the neurons to communicate among each other. It's a signaling um, molecule for the neurons. So it's, okay. part, it's an integral part of, of neural transmission you mm -hmm. know the functioning of the neurons 
um, but too much becomes uh, dangerous. So it's, oh. uh, it's a lot of things are like that. It has to be at the right amount. And when you get too much, you can cause the neurons to get too excited, and then they damage themselves, and then they die. Okay. And so that's what's happening. It's overexciting mm. them. You you need to have that those nimbus receptors working properly in order to actually remember things. So, you know, you could start turning. And I wonder if if pe- if uh, people's brains are doing that to turn down the gain on that receptor because they're finding, you know, the brain is finding that periodically it gets hit hard and you have to sort of turn it down to protect it. But then you can't, neurons don't work as well if they have to, you know, when the normal communication is trying to happen, it's been suppressed. And so it's harder for you to think and harder for you to remember, I would imagine. Hmm. Interesting. So, so what you're saying is you, your, your, your hypothesis is that it might affect memory. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. And would, Hmm, let's see, would maybe like a foggy brain kind of thing mm-hmm. be? Brain fog, yes, I would exactly say that. And I, I actually think autism is a um, is a protective mechanism, and that may be very mm. much connected. To, I know autism is connected to calcium overload, excite, you know, NIMDA receptor overstimulation, all of that that happens with glyphosate is connected to autism. They've written papers about it, never mentioning glyphosate. Um, and so I think that's very much tied to it. And I think that autism may be a protective mechanism the brain turns on uh-huh. but because it's trying to protect the neurons. And actually that works well. So when kids, uh-huh. kids can reverse autism because they, in that autistic state, their brain is being protected from the damage that mm-hmm. would otherwise happen if they just let it go and act normally. Oh, interesting. Yes, I do. Wow. That's and quite a hypothesis. And completely reversed. I had no, uh, I've met a woman, she, a young, t- uh, she was a late teens, uh, mm-hmm. and she had been diagnosed with autism when she was young, and she was perfectly fine. She wasn't even like socially, you know, unusual. Uh-huh. She was yeah. perfectly normal. And she had been, uh, she had had autism and got it recovered. And, and really by doing things like eating a certified organic diet and staying away from glutamate. So it turns out that uh, you know, glutamate's all over the processed foods. Free glutamate. In fact, I have a new article that I wrote for for um, Sally Fallon, uh, uh-huh. Western Price Foundation. There's mm-hmm. a new article coming out um, that I wrote about glyphosate and glutamate, uh, and also glutamate itself. And uh, you know, all these processed foods that have free glutamate in them—that's like MSG. Mm-hmm. But there's mm-hmm. also a lot of protein. You know, they'll have these various names that sound sort of chemical of protein extract and stuff. Those things are. There's much, there's a lot of free glutamate in processed foods, and whereas right. glutamate in normally would come in a protein chain. So there would be a whole bunch of amino acids in a chain attached to the glutamate. That's very different. When oh. you have free glutamate, it comes in really fast and hits hard, and that's how you get this neuroexcitotoxicity. So um, there was a, a mother. Uh, there's a mother who was a chemist. I, I read her, um, and I think I wrote about her in my book, but I can't quite remember <laughs> if it stayed in. <laughs> a lot of my book got deleted in the process of putting mm. it. was too long, so I can't remember what <laughs> stayed in and what went out. But this was really interesting. I think this stayed in because I had a, sec- a large section on glutamate in my book. Okay. And this was a mother who was a chemist who had an autistic daughter, and she was d- trying different things one by one and, and writing about it, you know, and she was um, – and she did a lot of the good things, like making sure high sulfur diet and um, organic food and um, et cetera. And then, um, and then she finally figured out glutamate uh, was a problem for her daughter. And she had to be really careful in buying food to make sure there was no free glutamate. Pretty much went to a, a non-processed food diet. Once mm-hmm. you eliminate all the processed foods, you pretty much get rid of the glutamate. If you eat just natural foods... 
And her daughter fully recovered from autism once she got rid of the glutamate. So that was quite fascinating. Oh, interesting. Now, Stephanie, you mentioned uh, a high sulfur diet. What does sulfur do? Yeah, sulfur is really interesting, and I think it's key. Uh, first of all, glyphosate is a train wreck for sulfate, and that's for sulfur, and that's something I talk about a lot in my book. I have a, I have a, my book has a whole sub story about sulfur, and I really go into my theories about why it's important and how it gets messed up by glyphosate, and how its deficiency causes heart disease, Alzheimer's, autism, a lot of different gut problems. You know, lots and lots of problems are caused by sulfur deficiency and in particular sulfate deficiency Mm -hmm. sulfate is sulfur plus four oxygen plus negative two charge so that's a so4 minus two for you chemist buffs (laughs) (laughs) great and um, so it's oxidized sulfur if you will sulfate and um and sulfur is you know managed in, in the body by a very complicated system and several of the enzymes in that chain can be predicted to be messed up by glyphosate through this mechanism of substituting for glycine I mean, I had to really rummage through the research literature to figure out which proteins would be most likely to be damaged mm-hmm. by glyphosate. And I had a very specific, you know, situation that um, that you need to have check all these points to, to have the protein be affected. So it's not just having a glycine residue. It's having one that's at an essential place, been shown to if it's mutated, you have severe disease. It's it binds phosphate typically. So you have all these rules that I've come up with. Mm-hmm that define the proteins that would be expected to be affected by glyphosate. And then there are several rules, several of these proteins that match my rules that are known to be affected by glyphosate. This is all brought out in my book. So it's okay. So, so just to be clear, just to be clear. Oh, and, and your publisher wants us to do another conversation just before your book comes out. So so save some, save some for the book. Right. Um, Okay. So, oh dear. Oh, oh, I'm not having a senior moment. Am I? Uh, Oh, shoot. Sulfur, sulfur. Okay, go on. I it, I just lost the question. It, it had to do <laughs> yes. with, with sulfur and... Hydrogen sulfide gas, maybe? Well, I was wondering, um, isn't sulfur important in inflammation, too? Or am... Absolutely, absolutely. It's all connected. Oh, oh wait, fact, um... wait, I just thought of it. Hold on. <laughs> criteria. So you have created a, uh-huh. a list of criteria that need to be met yes. uh-huh. in... In order to support your hypothesis, is that right. correct? If, if the protein matches all those criteria at a particular place in that protein, then um, I predict that protein will be very sensitive to glyphosate. Okay. And it will mess it up so it can't do its job. Okay. And um, and there's a whole um, community of proteins that it it's basically has to do with binding phosphate, and it's very interesting. So because the actual enzyme that's uh, suppressed in the shikimate pathway um, is a uh, binds phosphate at a place where there's a highly conserved glycine. And um, different plants and bacteria have developed um, mutated versions of that protein that don't have glycine at that place. They have alanine instead, and then they've worked around it by shifting some other parts nearby to make it still work but not have glycine. And those proteins are completely insensitive to glyphosate, completely insensitive, not just a little better. And that's the basis of the of the GMO crops, is to make a protein that doesn't have glycine at that spot where it binds phosphate. So it's Got basically it. glycine binding phosphate at a place that's absolutely essential for that protein. Okay. That's Got the it. criterion. Mm-hmm. And um, and then so I can find a whole bunch of proteins that would qualify, and then I can look and see if they do have genetic mutations that show disease. And then is that disease something that's going up dramatically? Yes, it is. You know, So you sort of check off all these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. 
that say probably that protein. And so one of them I can give, and we can talk all kinds of things about the book next time as well, because <laughs> the book is so intimately connected to my interests, you know, but right. uh, there's a protein called PEPCK, phosphoenolpyruvate carboxykinase, PEPCK, very, okay. very important protein, especially in the liver. Ah. And it binds PEP at a place where there's PEP has a is a phospho, so it has phosphate. Okay. And and the enzyme that gets wrecked in the plants that kills them is also also binds PEP. So it's even the same molecule that it binds. Oh. Not just that it also binds phosphate, but it binds the same molecule. Okay. Very very much similar with a highly conserved glycine residue. And so PEPCK, if that glycine is mutated, it it doesn't work which means if glycine substitutes, it doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, it causes fatty liver disease. And fatty oh. liver disease is going up exactly in step with glyphosate. And there's been <laughs> papers published wow. showing that low levels of glyphosate, below regulatory limits, cause fatty liver disease in rats. And there's a study on humans that showed that people who have fatty liver disease um, have glyphosate in their urine. And the ones that have worse, you know, more extreme cases have more glyphosate. So there were statistically significant differences um, in this population of peop- controls who didn't have fatty liver, mm-hmm. people who did, and then among the people who did, separating them into worse and better, all three groups were statistically significantly different in terms of more glyphosate associated with worse disease. Quite yeah. remarkable. So it, it all fits. I mean, that cannot possibly be ignored. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Stephanie, just for people who might be asking, so why are crops sprayed with glyphosate if if they're non-GMO. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's because they're sprayed like within a week of harvest and it helps the crop to, uh, like it kills it, it it helps the crop to dry out faster. Is that? That's right. It's a drying agent. And it also synchronizes the yield because these crops, when they get hit with glyphosate, they go to seed. Mm. Like the wheat, for example, you want to harvest the seed. And you have winter wheat up in Canada Mm -hmm. and they spray that crop with glyphosate uh, right before harvest, sometimes they're rushing against, you know, snow because up there it's cold and you can sort of, you might be rescuing the, the crop from a, from a frost right. by spraying with glyphosate to get the yield before the frost comes. So sometimes there's a certain urgency about it, I suspect. I mean, I'm not a farmer, but um, this is a, uh, the reason why they spray them uh, before harvest. It makes it e- also easier to um, to clear the field. And of course, I think if you're doing biofuels, it's probably easy, easier to gather the stuff to send it down to process it through the biofuel plant, you know? Right, right. And then put that glyphosate right into the fuels. Yeah, <laughs> like, wow. Not a good idea. <laughs> when I, I did a series on glyphosate, you were one of the people I had Dr. Theory Vrain on. Um, mm-hmm. I had uh, 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 Matt Floria, functional medicine doctor. And I also had uh, David Stelzer on who has an organic farm. And it, it's it'll be in the if anybody wants to look at this because it, it was I thought it was a really excellent conversation on uh, on glyphosate and and also how wheat has been hybridized and mm-hmm. why people are tend to be gluten intolerant now when they didn't used to be. It's it's right. it's yes. really it was a fast he's a fascinating conversation and that'll be an episode that was in the fifties. I was going to check, but I closed all my browsers and stuff to try to keep my computer from locking up while we're talking. So I can't check it, but I think it was in the fifties. But um, anyway, that was a, a really uh, a good conversation on mm-hmm. if anybody wants to know about growing, you know, the, the farming aspect of it. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 what glyphosate does to the minerals in the soil, and right, yeah, it's that's very, a big one. Yeah, it was. And it, another thing that I I learned only recently, there's been a lot of good articles coming out lately. It's hard to keep up, but mm-hmm. um, there's a new article that talked about glyphosate in the waterways. Oh, very very interesting and disturbing because they found, you know, they did an experiment where they actually put the glyphosate in the water, and the water had. Um, these biofilms, you know, so they're sort of like when you have a lot of mats and stuff, you know, plants growing under the water and yep. you, you know how murky water. Apparently, the glyphosate just goes zoom right into those uh, biofilms and disappears from the water. So when you look at the water, you say, oh, my God, the glyphosate went away. That's wonderful. Then when you look inside those biofilms, it's like a hundred, I forget, at least a hundred times more in the biofilm than there is in the free water. So it's going into those biofilms. And I just wrote um, an article together with Jennifer Margulis on the manatees in Southern Florida. Oh, my favorite. I love the (laughs) manatees. Well, they're dying. They're really having a miserable time right now. They're dying in record numbers this year. And I've been, and I do write about Florida actually in my book. And um, that breaks my heart, Stephanie. It really does. I spent one of my most favorite things in my entire life was spending an hour and a half, maybe two hours with manatees coming up to me and letting me scratch their little barnacles off of them and play with their little toes. And a mom and a baby came up to me and mm, uh, so it was just, I, I was in absolute habit. I'm, I'm like, I'm getting emotional because I think the manatees are so wonderful and this is just a travesty. It's really sad. Yeah. They're in really bad shape. And, oh. and uh, we wrote in this article, in fact, the article was just published a couple of days ago in um, the, um, Post, Washington Post. Oh, <laughs> okay. Magazine. okay. Washington Post has an opinion article. It's a short article, but mm-hmm. uh, we kind of um, told the story of how glyphosate is, uh, is I think, a major factor in, oh, in the dying manatees. And the, the, the um, dolphins are in trouble there, too. They're, they've got <sighs> Alzheimer's, actually. Dolphins they, have Alzheimer's? In, yeah, Alzheimer's. Oh, this I is know. disgusting. <laughs> I'm just, I am, I'm sorry, but I'm so grossed out. This is just awful. I, I know we're just what you we're know, doing. We're, we're being so brutal in our in our attack on all these wonderful animals, and it just breaks my heart. Um, and that's the dolphins in Florida, you know. So Florida's a mess. They have all that uh, blue green algae, you know, cyanobacteria, and it's. I think glyphosate's a major feeder. Now, of course, they also have a lot of phosphate fertilizers, and they have that phosphate production plant. I don't know if you heard about that. No. Uh, mm-hmm catchment basin that's Mm -hmm. brand new news it's just i mean florida is a mess i think they're really in trouble catchment base basin for this phosphate fertilizer management site um and phosphate fertilizer produces really toxic uh phosphate containing stuff that gets trapped in these trap entrapment basins and there's one the thing is um about to fall apart and i think they've been pumping all the water out into the bay and that water is extremely toxic so i mean that's just going to do a a number on all the animals in the bay so it's just tragic i mean and the phosphate fertilizers are part of our problem with the you know agrochemical based agriculture because we we make these you know artificial phosphate fertilizers instead of using manure which would be a source of phosphorus and it right. would be a, a healthy source if the cows weren't eating a whole bunch of <laughs> yeah, right yeah <laughs> so we're God. in a mess with our farming we need to turn it completely around we need to use africa as a model to get back to small organic certified you know small organic farms i think that's crucial do you hear, you know how ironic what you're saying is that, we, I mean, here I know. we're, you know, the most developed, you know, the, the most so awesome, <laughs> amazing country in the world, right? And we should look to Africa for their, yes. their farming 
protocols. Yeah. I mean, isn't Maybe that crazy? Back from, from them about how they do agriculture because uh, that's going to, and uh, you know, there are people here uh, that are um, learning how to, you know, do sustainable, renewable agriculture. It's more than just growing certified organic, you know? Right. Oh, yes. All the yes. minerals, putting all those things back, uh, actually giving them the same kinds of supplements that we need to take to try to replenish our mineral deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies. Mm-hmm. And all these things are being broken apart by these toxic chemicals. And we're just a, uh, a sitting duck for something like COVID-19 because we're we're so sick, you know. We're so depleted in nutrients. And- uh, yeah. And, and what it just came to me when you were saying that, too, is that I, I can imagine that a lot of people say, well, I'm not mineral deficient. I eat a good diet, you know, but they don't realize that the soil that the crops, the produce is grown in is mineral deficient. So they're right. not they getting what they think they're getting. Yes, and that's something Don Huber talks about a lot, and that's what I heard from him in that very first lecture that got me turned on to glyphosate mm-hmm. way back in 2012. You know, Don Huber is the reason why I, I got so committed to glyphosate. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a retired professor from Purdue, and he's 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 at like over 80 years old, and he's still going all around the world giving talks about how wow. horrible glyphosate is. And oh, good for him. He was, uh, you know, he totally. Uh, I was looking for what was causing the autism epidemic at the time, and I had been looking for five years, and I was striking out. I knew there was something going on with the gut, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and he talked about how glyphosate messes up the soil bacteria, messes up the gut bacteria, depletes the minerals, it traps the minerals so that the bacteria can't get them, and then the bacteria get sick from that. And then, of course, the um, shikimate pathway being messed up. Many bacteria have the shikimate pathway. And so um, our gut gets totally messed up. You know, we get a complete imbalance with too many pathogens and too many, um, too few probiotics, you know, too few beneficial bacteria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we get, and then the immune system gets involved and we get inflamed gut and we get leaky gut. And then we don't, can't digest our proteins. So they get leaked out into the system. And then the immune system gets very upset with these foreign proteins. And then we get autoimmune disease because once you have all these foreign proteins loose in the blood, uh, the immune, the antibodies come into play, and then those antibodies start attacking your own tissues through something called molecular mimicry. So it's quite a mess. <sighs> okay, Stephanie. Now that everybody's totally depressed, <laughs> <laughs> what 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 do you what kinds of things besides obviously you know avoiding foods that uh, have glyphosate in them? You know what can people do? Like, do you think it helps to take probiotics? I don't take probiotics, but okay. I do eat um, sauerkraut and um, occasionally eat yogurt. I think yogurt's a good thing to eat if you if you like it. Um, I would. I also recommend that people look uh, because I make my own yogurt, but uh-huh. I like to use um, every once in a while. I like to start fresh with. You know, because I I keep using my, uh, you know, part of my yogurt over and over when I make it. Mm -hmm. But I always look for a yogurt that's, first of all, that's organic and um, that has as many different probiotics in it as possible. Because some of them just have a couple. You know, right. and you want you want something from the lactobacillus strains. You want some from the the strep and the the bifida strains. You want to try to get as much in there as possible. You're an expert. That sounds like that's wonderful that you can do that. that well, that's, and uh, I was just, well. I'll tell you if you have an instant pot, which at the, these days a lot of people have instant pots. It is so easy to make yogurt. Mm, I mm, it it just great. it doesn't take much effort at all. It wonderful. really doesn't. And, uh, and I love the, especially what if I, I like using, there's a Nancy's yogurt that has, um, a lot of different strains. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I can't get that up here now probably because of COVID stuff, but um, I found another one from Jersey Land that has quite a few. And you can get, like you can buy powdered starters, but oh, you yeah, don't have uh -huh. to keep using them. You can, you know, you can use your, uh, you can use, you know, like a quarter cup or whatever of the yogurt, your last batch of yogurt and, and uh -huh. make a new batch with it. Yes, and, that's fun. And, that's the same thing with sourdough bread. I really like sourdough bread and that's another I do one that's too. based on, yes. So, so sort of eating fermented foods is good. And also cheeses. I love cheese and I eat a lot of different cheeses and they're good for vitamin K2. Vitamin K2 is something I'm really concerned about with respect to COVID-19 as well. I told you vitamin D, but also vitamin K2 deficiency is connected uh -huh. to bad outcomes. And, um, and that's present in these, um, fermented foods Oh, okay. and also, also in uh, butter and, um, animal based foods, you mm -hmm. know, so, mm -hmm. uh, but that's an important one, vitamin K2, and it, it helps the mitochondria. It, it actually supports um, the mitochondrial oxidative phosphorylation, which is, you know, mitochondria get hit hard by glyphosate and by many other chemicals. And, and as you age, you know, your mitochondria get sicker and sicker. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, you know, how long you're going to live depends on how healthy your mitochondria are. I think it's very, very mitochondrial you know defects are linked to many many diseases and most of these diseases that are going up and step with the rise in glyphosate on core crops are uh, associated with mitochondrial problems right and for those who don't know your mitochondria also produce your energy it's like your that's right you know that's that's your that's where your energy comes from and so if you're tired all the time i mean i know for me i was focusing on thyroid for a long time and then i shifted mm -hmm. to i think it's my mitochondria i don't think they're mm -hmm. you know i don't think they're doing their job so that's where my focus has been for yeah and then you're probably right because actually thyroid hormone actually promotes mitochondrial health it actually turns you know it gets the mitochondria working um mm -hmm. Promotes mm -hmm. their their, their uh, presence and their their growth and their, their, it gives you more energy basically. So when you have thyroid deficiency, you I think I, I don't know personally, but you feel tired. You know, <laughs> that's dragged out. That's an understatement. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No thyroid, and it's interesting because uh, yeah, with thyroid, it's yeah, there's foggy brain. Uh, you're mm -hmm. tired, tendency to gain weight, there's tendency mm -hmm. to have high cholesterol, hair falling out, skin Very dry. And I don't know how many people I've come in contact with who they go to their doctor, the doctor does the standard, you know, usually they'll just do a, a thyroid stimulating hormone test and a, a mm -hmm. T4. And, mm -hmm. and they'll say, well, it's normal. And, uh, and because there's more to it than that, right? There is. And in fact, it, I know a lot about it. I actually just finished uh, writing a draft of a chapter in a book um, about that. Uh, youth thyroid syndrome. Have you heard of that? No. Youth thyroid syndrome. Very, very interesting. I did a deep dive into that space recently. Something new that I learned this year. Mm. <laughs> it was really interesting. And it has to do with exactly that. Everything looks normal. T4 is fine. Um, you know, your thyroid stimulating hormone is fine, mm -hmm. but T3 yeah. is way, is way down and you have a reverse T3. Have you heard yep. of reverse oh, T3? Oh, yes. uh, believe me, I've, I'm up on all of this. Yes. Reverse T3 should be yeah. checked. And, and for a lot of people, like for myself, I don't convert T4 into T3 properly. Mm. So that's, you know, is, yeah, and contributing it, factor. And the other thing that I found out uh, was that because there's a wide range of normal. So your mm -hmm. T3 should be at the very upper end of normal for most people mm -hmm. to feel good. Mm -hmm. And T4 should be upper mid range. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, the thing that is fascinating that I got into with this chapter is the DIO3. 
Uh, D-I-O, D-I-O, D-I-O days, is that right? D-I-O days three, okay, which is the yeah. one that makes reverse T3. Uh-huh. And what I discovered was just so fascinating because I heard about, uh, I read about something called um, frustrated clathrin-based endocytosis, frustrated, which is such a great word. Oh, wow. I haven't heard this. It's so interesting. And I think it's in the liver. And the liver, of course, is being damaged by all the toxic chemicals. And I think what's happening is it's not making enough sulfate. Again, it gets back to the sulfate. And so it's um, the, the, the tissues are depleted in sulfate and heparin sulfate in particular. And this is just so fascinating. I wrote, I wrote all about it. I was kind of excited to find all of this because I think I've kind of connected some more dots with this story. Very cool. Um, that the DIO3, it actually normally gets internalized in, with this clathrin-based um, endocytosis. So there's clathrin, you know, these clathrin pits are like in the membrane of the cell and then they get pinched off and they go inside and they bring stuff in okay. uh, to the cell. And one of the things they bring in is this DIO3 that comes in that way. Uh-huh. And when it comes in, it's no longer exposed at the surface, right? Because it came in with that clathrin-coated pit. And then it gets some stuff happens. Eventually it goes back up. But if, if the clathrin-coated pit gets stuck on the surface and it becomes a ca- what they call a clathrin plaque, it's a flat thing that's kind of stuck on the surface and, and won't, can't come in. Okay. Because the surface is disturbed, because the surface doesn't have enough heparin sulfate. This is what I found in the literature. So there's, because of the lack of heparin sulfate, the clathrin-coated pit becomes a clathrin plaque and sits on the surface and exposes that DIO3 to the external environment, where it's happily making reverse T3, like there's no tomorrow. So it's making tons of reverse T3 outside the cell, which is then hitting on the receptors and preventing T3 from coming in. Oh. It's so fascinating. So I think, in fact, and this makes me realize that thyroid, you know, I'm so fascinated by all these hormones and what are they exactly doing? Mm-hmm. I think the thyroid hormone is able to um, recognize that heparin sulfate is okay. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we can turn on the mitochondria because if the heparin sulfate is not okay, the mitochondria are going to be in trouble. It's such a, a, an intricate, complicated story. That all these things are connected. But the sulfate is so critical. And this is something people don't realize. It's so critical for health. And it's being wrecked by glyphosate. And so all of our tissues probably are deficient in heparin sulfate. And it's connected to autism in the brain. I mean, the autistic brain, I'm sort of wandering in all kinds of different directions. But mm-hmm. I sort of, it, it remember, makes me, reminds me of something else. But they have very, um, heparin, low heparin sulfate inside the brain ventricles is, is a, a feature of autism. In mice, you know, in, in humans, it's a feature of autism. Okay. And so heparin sulfate is deficient systemically, and that affects the brain, that affects the liver, it it causes um, rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, there's so many things that are connected to heparin sulfate deficiency, which again is connected to glyphosate poisoning. And that's how you get this thyroid problem that is, the thyroid thyroid itself is okay, it's working fine, but it's the liver that's screwing up because it's been so poisoned, it doesn't have enough heparin sulfate. The uh, DIO3 stays outside the cell, and it's making all that, you know, reverse trend, uh, reverse hormone that's going to block the receptors so that the thyroid hormone can't get in. And the thyroid hormone, if it got in, would then turn on the mitochondria and make them work well. But I think it's because you need to suppress the mitochondrial activity if you don't have enough sulfate. And that's a whole other story <laughs> as to why that's yeah, true. But yeah, yeah. It it's just the science is amazing. It's so fascinating. I love, you know... I, love <laughs> I know. So, so okay. So for our listeners, I'm going to back up just a little bit. Okay. So first of all, um, your liver 
converts T4 into T3, about 24% of your T3 is Mm -hmm. from your liver, does that. And then the rest is done in other parts of your body, just so people know. Now, reverse T3, you have to have a special test for that. If you want that, uh, you probably are going to have to pay for it because Mm -hmm. um, it's not usually covered, just so you know. And most doctors don't want to do it. You're going to have to put your foot down and say, I want this test. Um, because if you're, if, if the T3 that is in your cells or on the outside, whatever, if the T3 in your body is, is a lot of it's reverse T3, you can't use that. And it's actually, as Stephanie was just saying, it's actually detrimental because your T3 can't even get into the cells. Yeah. It's worse than just not working. Yeah. It actually actively blocks T3. Yeah. I didn't know that. So, so, uh, so if you want a reverse T3 test though, you're going to have to ask for it and you're probably going to have to be, you know, pretty, pretty firm about it because most doctors don't even want to look at that. Let's see. We did liver T3. What was, oh, okay. So sulfur. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think that well, I know that what the cruciferous vegetables, did I say it right? Mm-hmm. Uh, are high in sulfur, right? And that's mm-hmm. broccoli. They're also high in vitamin C. That's something I only learned recently, oh, which I is didn't great. Know that. Yes, okay. I'm surprised. They're as good as oranges. So, for people who don't know, that's broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. Are there any others, or is it just those? Um, Brussels sprouts. Oh, right. I I can't. I don't like Brussels sprouts, so I always forget that <laughs> I love one. Them all, and we eat them on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, they're great. No, they're, you're lucky because so I th- encourage people to eat as much as possible of the cruciferous vegetables. They're so good, right? Uh, and so healthy. Now, but if you're, you know, if you're having problems, you may that may not be enough. I don't know. Would you, would you say it might be worth trying? I won't say recommend, but you know, worth trying or experimenting with uh, exogenous. Exogenous meaning you're, you're taking it as a supplement. Sulfur. Uh-huh. Well, there, you know, uh, my husband actually does. As I, um, he takes something that's a combination of chondroitin sulfate glucosamine sulfate and mm-hmm. methyl sulfonyl methane, all three of those. And each of them is a sulfur containing molecule. Okay. And so, um, and he's been taking that for years and it seems to be working well for him. So I think that's quite safe and quite, uh, quite useful. Oh, I didn't even think of it as, as sulfur because I take a, I've been for, it's for my hands cause I knit and crochet and I play the harp. So my, all the rest of my joints are fine. It was just my hands. And I take mm-hmm. a one that has uh, the chondroitin, glucosamine, MSM, hyaluronic acid. It's the same acid, one, col- probably. It's certainly the same combination. Doctor's yes. best. I take doctor's best. sulfur because it's chondroitin sulfate and mm-hmm. glucosamine sulfate. Mm-hmm. And people don't, even like magnesium sulfate, which is Epsom salts, right? right? I, I, I regularly soak in Epsom salt baths. Okay, so there's something people sulfate. can do. There's something people can mm-hmm. do, magnesium. Uh, and who doesn't, these days, who doesn't need to take some time out for themselves and have a nice yeah. soak? So, yeah. Excuse <laughs> to just sit in the hot water and, and relax. I, I find it wonderful um, at the end of the day, just to unwind. Um, and, and people think that's magnesium, which it is, but there's sulfate too, and the sulfate goes right in, you know, and gets utilized by your body Great. Um, as sulfate. And sulfate is what's so critical. I think sulfate deficiency is what's driving heart disease. So Stephanie, what else can people do? Like if, if they, they're concerned because they haven't been eating organic or, or they're just switching or, or whatever about the glyphosate. Uh, so we've got right. sulfur. Now I know you've said apple cider vinegar before mm-hmm. can help mm-hmm. pull I'm glyphosate. That the acetobacter that's in there can metabolize the glyphosate, which would be wonderful. I think there, I suspect there are people who are much less sensitive to glyphosate because they already have in their gut 
some kind of species of bacteria that can can metabolize glyphosate can actually break it down into useful nutrients Mm -hmm. and that is just wonderful because you could just you know those bacteria could take care of it for you if that's the case and um and acetobacter there are there are strains of acetobacter that can do that whether they're in the apple cider vinegar I i haven't shown you know i don't know but i I do think a lot of people are finding that acid, that uh, apple cider vinegar is uh, a healthy food. So that could be a reason why. <laughs> so I, I certainly do take apple cider vinegar every day. That's one of the things I, I do. Um, there's also Ion Biome. Have you heard of that? That's something a product that Zach Bush uh, promotes or oh, sells. Okay. Ion Biome. Ion Biome. Huh. It used to be called Restore for Life. I don't know if you've heard of that. No. Yeah, oh, so yes, I have actually. Yes. But the, yes. okay, ion biome. I'm going to. Ion biome. Okay. Yeah. And my husband, and I, my husband and I have both been taking that ion biome. Um, it's supposed to, um, you know, actually remove glyphosate. So oh, it has, okay. Uh, it has uh, fulvic acid and humic acid, which is sort of complicated. That again. was going to be my next question was because I take fulvic acid, humic acid. Yes. And I was so going to ask you. got that covered. Mm-hmm. And I think it has minerals in it as well and, and some kind of spore. I'm not sure even if it has spore bacteria because that's one of the things I've that's in some of the products is the spore bacteria that can get past the stomach without being acidified out because you know, mm-hmm. the spores are very hardy and they can get into the lower gut and actually populate it. Uh, and I don't know. I should really look that up and see if spore bacteria in that product. But that's the kinds of things that people that I've talked to who are producing products to try to combat glyphosate right. it's, it's three things you know beefing up your minerals actually um binding to the glyphosate i think and possibly even breaking it down because i was reading about the fulvic acid is quite interesting because it actually it, it's uh it's in the soil and it traps bacteria and those bacteria or it traps um enzymes that are very uh, capable of generic enzymes that can break down lots of things and lots of toxic things so, um, they so, sound it's really the powerful. Enzymes. so it's possible that I don't know that the research has been done. Uh, this is all just sort of me thinking, you know, mm-hmm. which I do a lot of that the enzymes in the fulvic acid could be actually breaking down the glyphosate. Again, I don't know that anyone's shown that that's the case, but I just know that there are enzymes that get trapped in fulvic acid that are very um, capable of, they have very generic abilities to break down different toxic um compounds. Right. And for me, my instinct is that that's one of the best ways is the humic fulvic acid. So right. can, um, so that people can understand. And sometimes I have a hard time explaining what it is, because my understanding is that it's humic acid and the fulvic acid is part of humic acid and that. Yeah, it gets, you may be right. And uh, that it gets separated out. But does it does it come from like peat bogs or where like it's a very Probably. ancient isn't it it is it's a very yeah it's a very ancient very complicated again i suspect it has a lot of sulfate because it's you know it's it's sort of like the um our own um glycosaminoglycans you know we have these incredibly complicated uh, molecules that are decorate the outside of all of our cells that are called glycosaminoglycans um sometimes also known as um mucans Mucins mm. in the gut, for example, those things have lots of sulfate, and the um, the gut depends upon that sulfate. Actually, the sulfate traps gelled water, so it gels the water and fil- forms this uh, exclusion zone water layer around the cell that is excludes things. So it's, it's almost pure crystalline water. I like oh. to think of it as liquid ice. Mm-hmm. So crucial in the body to be able to do that, and you need the sulfate to make that work. So the gut, when it gets depleted in sulfate, then the barrier 
gets weak because that that gel is no longer there and the bacteria can bridge you know they can get past the barrier because there's there isn't that additional barrier that would be that gelled water is missing can you explain i've been learning about gelled water lately too can you explain to people what gelled water is Yes, uh, so uh, Gerald Pollack calls it the fourth fourth phase right. of water, mm-hmm. and he's written a whole book called The Fourth Phase of Water. Um, he has a book called Cells, Gels, and the Engines of Life. I've mm-hmm. read both of those books. He's a great guy. I know him personally, and I've given talks at, at meetings that he's hosted, so it's been really great to get to know him. Uh, brilliant guy. He's mm-hmm. really been able to bring that whole field into the public eye because he's able to write these books that are much more accessible than the research literature in that space because the research is very difficult and the papers are very challenging to Mm -hmm. understand. Mm -hmm. It's very complicated biophysics, actually, and it's so fascinating. The water, actually, this is what makes water so special because it can arrange itself into these. And, you know, it's jello, basically. If you think of taking out a little packet of jello and dumping it into some boiling water and then you sit it in in the refrigerator and then a few hours later it's hard, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know there's only a little bit of powder in there. Right. And yet it's pretty substantive thing that you've got left doesn't feel like it's water anymore you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's mostly water but the water is being formed into this crystalline straight state because of the uh the the packet of jello which is you know gelatin there's also like there's various molecules that are made by our body that can gel the water but the heparin sulfate is very very important for that and it's in the membranes of all the cells it also heparin sulfate is also uh, it, it's able to um, attach to different things that come through in the blood, for example, different um, you know, molecules or signaling molecules, they, they bind to the heparin sulfate so that they can get in past the gel. Mm-hmm. The heparin sulfate binds to them, and then the whole thing is uh, eroded by these enzymes, heparinase, you know, there's these enzymes that break off the heparin sulfate. The heparin sulfate actually cycles through the cell every few hours. The cell is constantly making heparin sulfate, sticking it outside, breaking it up, bringing it in, and because it needs that heparin sulfate in the lysosomes to help it break down the things it's bringing in. So it's actually very crucial, for example, for bringing in uh, LDL, you know, the LDL particles. Mm-hmm. That, uh, when they're elevated, you have um, heart disease mm-hmm. and you get mm-hmm. your statin drug. Those are brought in. Uh, they bind to the, um, to the uh, heparin sulfate, and then that bound complex gets taken up by the cell. Uh-huh. through this endocytosis process. So it's quite fascinating. But the, uh, the heparin sulfate is crucial for being able to have that whole cycle work. Mm-hmm. So when you don't have enough heparin sulfate, you miss all the signals that are coming by. They don't, they don't attach. Wow. So it sounds like sulfur is really important. Super, super important. That <laughs> sulfate is so important. And people just uh, don't know. You know, it's a very difficult topic to study. And mostly people have been directed elsewhere. So it's not, it's not as much literature on it. Mm-hmm as there should be, mm-hmm. um, because people aren't aware uh, of its importance. What other kinds of things? So we've got the, you know, increasing your sulfur, um, the humic fulvic acid. I found a, uh, it's a liquid, con- it's a concentrate of uh, online uh, humic fulvic acid that, mm, uh, nice. yeah, and the bottle is supposed to last for like six months. So um, I've been, I've been using that little drops of that every day. So we've got that, we've got apple mm-hmm. cider vinegar, acetobacterium. Um, what I else? I can give a couple of things. I may have mentioned yeah, this please. last time, a friend of mine who's a, a great guy, and he's developing a product that I think is going to be very exciting that um, is to treat COVID-19. And mm. he, it's, his product is actually being um, 
they, they've been through a whole series of studies of different, you know, in vitro studies and, and um, you know, animal studies. And now they're into human studies in the uh, hospital and they're getting super good results. It's a completely natural product that can be used to treat COVID-19. Awesome. And so he's um, he's been dialoguing with me and telling me, you know, which things. So this product has a lot of these complicated um, molecules that are made by plants, you know, like herbs and spices. Mm-hmm. He encouraged me early on to get uh, tincture of rosemary okay. and tincture of licorice because rosemary and licorice contain some of the ingredients that are inside his product that actually block um, the ability of the virus to get into the cells. So it's a very useful for protection against the COVID-19. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, it's tastes pretty fun. You know, licorice, you know, it's kind of a fun taste. Rosemary, both of them are kind of fun flavors. You just put it mm-hmm. under your tongue mm-hmm. and hold it there for a little while and, um, and, uh, that can, I think, help to combat COVID. And it's probably good for you in general. Mm-hmm. Also, for COVID, well, any upper respiratory infection, I uh, listened to a couple of uh, interviews. Let's see, the one with Joe Mercola and, uh, uh, let's see, Dr. Brownstein, something like that. Mm-hmm. But they're talking about yes. uh, nebulized hydrogen peroxide. Right, exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah. That's quite interesting. And that, and that seems so contradictory because they talk about reactive oxygen species and that is a reactive oxygen species and how can it possibly be good, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've been writing um, articles for the web, uh, in fact, for Sally Fallon, for example, mm-hmm. about um, COVID-19 and... Mm-hmm. Uh, and the necessity of inflammation, hydrogen peroxide in particular, to get produced to help um, certainly to fight the virus, but also, and we didn't we didn't talk about this at all in this particular session, but I think we may have last November about deuterium. Yes, we? yes, we did, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. the hydrogen peroxide is actually a very, very good source of deuterium-depleted water because mm-hmm. it, gets, it gets converted to two water molecules when it gets processed by glutathione mm-hmm. so it's so fascinating because glutathione is super central to uh covid you, know, you need to have high glutathione you need to take even cysteine you know to eat foods that have cysteine because that's one of the um amino acids in glutathione glutathione is a tripeptide it has three amino acids one of them is glycine which i mm. which worries me because that yeah. probably means glyphosate substitution yeah so it's glut it's glutamate <laughs> glycine and uh, cysteine are the amino acids in glutathione. Glutathione is an absolutely essential antioxidant in the liver and everywhere, actually. But um, And people, you can get that as a supplement, too, if people... You can get, you yes, you get lysosomal glutathione. And even yeah. I think in the case of... And I think it, glutathione is one of the things that David Brownstein uses. He has a, there's a nice paper that just came out. He's an author. There's several authors on that paper. And it includes that hydrogen peroxide treatment mm-hmm. as, and also ozone and then all these different nutrients, you mm-hmm. know, vitamin C, vitamin D, glutathione, all these things or cysteine. So um, he's recommending all of those to, uh, to beef up all those supplies mm-hmm. to help you with COVID. And, but from uh, what I understand, if you, you, you have to get the nebulizer, have it on hand and hydrogen peroxide, I think it's just 0.1%. Hydrogen yes, peroxide solution, it, right? Yes. In a saline solution, which you can make with a teaspoon of salt and a pint of water. And if you nebulize the, the oh, and a drop of uh, Lugol's iodine is supposed mm-hmm. to add that's an right. extra that's benefit. He, he's big on iodine because he's mm-hmm. in an area where there's a lot of iodine deficiency. Mm-hmm. I think that's where Indiana, is that where he is? I forget. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. anyway, if you have that on hand, and not just for COVID, but for any upper respiratory mm-hmm. uh, issue, if you nebul- nebulize right away, my understanding is you're pretty much done. Maybe do it, you know, a couple of times, a few times. But, you know, the sooner you, you can do it, you pretty much 
uh, what do I want to say? You pretty much aren't going to have any symptoms and you're going to kill right. whatever's there. So I'm waiting for my nebulizer yeah, to come. Not, and not just, <laughs> not just kill, but I think it's also because it helps you to make the deuterium depleted water that's so crucial for, mm. for rescuing the mitochondria in the, um, in the immune cells. So mm-hmm. your immune cells are, you know, have weak mitochondria because of all the poisons they've been exposed to them, to them. And then the, um, the hydrogen peroxide it turns into uh, deuterium-depleted water with ah. the act, help of uh, enzymes that know how to do that. So that's really cool. And those enzymes, of course, get affected by glyphosate. So that's a problem Right, too. yeah. Well, and I, I've got more reading to do on it, but uh, it was my understanding that by nebulizing the hydrogen peroxide, it wasn't just the lungs that were beneficially mm. being affected. It, there were other, um, you know, other organs in the body, too. So. Probably so, yes, because that would go systemically, you know, and I think hydrogen peroxide is very uh, soluble in water, mm-hmm. so it would mm-hmm. just go around in the blood and go everywhere, and and, um, and everywhere that there's glutathione, it would get converted into um, water, good water, deuterium-depleted water, mm-hmm. which is what the mitochondria need to be healthy, and we didn't talk about that this time, but I do have some articles about that on the web. So. Ah, okay. So you, you've talked quite a bit about different articles. If you could send me links to those... I will. Anything that you'd like the listeners to be able to have access to, I'll put them on our, our conversation webpage so that people can just click on them and, and read those great. articles. I'll do that. That'd be great. Well, uh, <clears throat> we're in, we're getting over an hour here, but I, it's always, I love talking to you so much. I could go on yeah. and on. Is there anything that you'd like to wrap up with, Stephanie? Just thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm really glad that you have the details about some of these things because I sort of say hydrogen peroxide and you say exactly how much, how to do it. <laughs> Point one percent, and I'm aware of, of that, but it, I don't never quite get those numbers uh, confident enough that I have those numbers right. So uh-huh. I appreciate that you're, and actually, you know, making the yogurt. I mean, you really are are in. You're right in there doing it. So that's wonderful. I'm and, trying to. I also did a screenshot of how to make 0.1%, like if your hydrogen hmm. peroxide is 3% or if it's some 12% or I've got some, I think I've got a, a bottle of hydrogen peroxide that's 35%. And, mm. it, and it tells you, you know, how to, how to dilute it, it depending mm-hmm. on the percentage to get 0.1%. Right. Excellent. Yeah. You got to know a little math there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and the Lugol's iodine is a 5% solution of Lugol's iodine. And you, you, you make your mixture of your saline and your hydrogen peroxide to get 0.1%. And then after that's done, then you add one drop of Lugol's iodine. Interesting. There's something about that. Uh, I was reading that there were a couple of people who forgot to do the iodine and they didn't get great results using the nebulizer and then they added the iodine and then it was done they were that's so interesting i don't know that i always want to understand why i know (laughs) i know know well that's your job dear (laughs) i'm gonna have to do some more research (laughs) so i can explain it because i'm happy if i can explain in my mind you know why it would be good yeah and i I love that about the hydrogen peroxide because it's um i see why it's good but people uh, but of course the mainstream says oh it's toxic right they say Mm -hmm. it's toxic just like the chlorine dioxide that's another one that's probably good for covid Mm. And they are so worried about it being toxic, and it's way less toxic. And, you know, of course, it's tiny amounts, and that's what's crucial, but right. it's, it's, it's so safe compared to all these horrible drugs that they're pushing on us. So. Right, right. If you do research that and come up with something, I believe it, it's be like, uh, probably like a month and a half, we'll be having a conversation right. when your book is uh, coming out. So save it for that. Write down somewhere and we can right. you can let us know what the, because I'll give you info and you can figure out why. 
Okay. You can figure deal. out the why and how. <laughs> well, Stephanie, as always, this has been awesome. I so appreciate who you are and all that you do. And I think I'd like to end by saying, you know, there are over 100,000 respected doctors and scientists who are speaking out about not just what's going on with COVID, but, you know, the toxins and glyphosate and all these people are risking their safety, their um, their livelihoods to speak out about what's true, you know, truth, their truth and what's right. You know, I honor each and every one of you who are willing to speak out. Mm, it's really a tough time right now. And I really hope that we'll break through. I think as enough people uh, become aware of what's really going on, uh, we can have what's going to take a revolution, I think, to turn this around, because I think pharma is wielding way too much control. And, and it's just terrible the way they're censoring the information that people need to hear. Mm -hmm. And I'm very frustrated with that. Well, I mean, I haven't watched a regular TV channel in, well, maybe when I go to a hotel or something, <laughs> that's about <laughs> it, you know, and I know that, it, you know, a huge number of the amount of the advertising is is pharmaceuticals, and right. they're pretty much controlling the narrative. And yes. um, it's just, gosh, you know, and if people, people need to wake up, well, if people aren't, I guess, you know, I was thinking about it the other day, and I thought, boy, I feel very blessed that I have the type of personality that really likes to research and mm -hmm. dig deep and understand because otherwise I might just be like the other people who just watch mainstream, mainstream news, listen to mainstream radio and that's it, mm -hmm. you know, and that's not necessarily the truth. In fact, these days I think it's really more disinformation than anything else. And right. more and more respected people are standing up. And to ignore that, do it at, at your, your own peril. At, at, yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say that exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, great talking with you as always. Yes. I appreciate yes. your knowledge and your and your interest and your pers perseverance. Oh, this. thank you. So, well, ditto wonderful. for you, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if you can just hang on for a moment while I do my outtake. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. It's always such a delight to speak with Dr. Stephanie Seneff. You know, she's just a brilliant mind, a wonderful person, and I just really appreciate our connection. The podcast website is realjanine.com. You can listen to episodes and download from there if you want. You can also uh, subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. What else did I want to add here? Please go to the podcast website for our conversation because I am going to put links to Stephanie's very valuable articles and as she gets new articles she can send me the links and I'll just add them in I can always go in and edit so thank you so much everyone I really appreciate it this is such an important conversation please share it with those you love and care about and at least they won't be able to say you never told me so <laughs> you will at least be sharing and trying to educate them with really important information so thank you everyone please take care and be well until next time.